I think in the pandemic times, so in 2020, I think we did like half a million pounds with the mixes in quite a short space of time, really. That was Chris from Doe-Eyed, and it's your boy, Idrif, and you're listening to the What's Good Doe podcast. Whether it's pizza, business, or life, my guest and I are always talking about ways we can level up. Today, you are going to hear a very amazing story, and I'm excited to share this one because Chris's journey has been a roller coaster, to say the least. His story starts with how his first business bankrupted him. Through a combination of hard work and tenacity, he managed to pull himself out of that situation and is now killing it in the pizza game. We talk about flipping pizza trucks, having crazy success with deliveries and nightmares, as well as landing himself into some prime real estate and finally selling over 500,000 pounds worth of spiral mixers. This is one story you're not going to want to miss. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. And remember to always ask, what's good, Doe? Welcome back, everyone. I have with me today a very special guest. His name is Chris from Doe-Eyed. How are you doing today? Welcome. Hey, man. Thanks for the welcome. Uh, Yeah, good. Day after day. Pizza is closed on Monday, so uh, just been catching up on some rest. Perfect. I love that. Chris, there's one way that I uh, love to start the show, and there is no right or wrong answer. What's good dough? What's good dough? Um, good dough for me is just—it's just—it's really hard to describe, but it's really precise. What I, what I look for is really precise. So for me, it's a good airy crust, a big open crumb, tender. Slight crunch to it when you poke the crust, but so tender that it just collapses in and bounces back, and uh, just a really good eat with some nice toasty, toasty kind of flavors. This sounds like a well balanced kind of pizza with some texture, but also some airiness. Yeah, yeah, it's it's weird. Sometimes we have a, a bad dough day, um, and like there's probably only us that would notice it really. Um, but you still just know that the dough is like 10% off where it could be, but the customers still think it's absolutely amazing. In fact, you, when you get a good dough day, it's just like, yeah, this is, this is the dough's on point today. Sometimes I even put an Instagram post out just letting people know that the dough's especially on point. <laughs> Come on over today. I'm not trying to sell you more. It's just that it's because the dough is where I want it to be. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Yeah. How do you overcome that, like serving people pizza that you're not 100% satisfied with because I myself am going through that no I mean when we did the weddings um, that was quite tricky because we didn't have any uh, refrigeration we used to get dough anxiety at first you know you'd have to wake up in the middle of the night go downstairs lift the lid have a look make sure it's looking something like it should do for three in the morning and then rock up to a wedding. But we've had it where um, fridges have been turned off at, at wedding venues. They've unplugged the trailer, turned the fridge off, and you've just got to rock up and deal with whatever's in the in the dough tray because there's 200 guests at a wedding that have been booked in for two years expecting to get fed. And that's one of the good things about doing weddings, actually. It did teach you to get pizza out. And you could still do some decent pizza with some real 
dough that looked a mess. Um, so yeah, it's quite tricky in the pizza here. We don't, I hate it when the when the when the product isn't where I want it. Um, and whenever I, I find it really hard to employ people because whenever I put a chef in the kitchen, it's kind of never quite how I want it. But I think it's just something something you have to come to terms with. But it's pretty difficult. I sometimes wish I wasn't as fussed about the actual product. I sometimes wish I could. For the sake of making money, if I just wanted to make money, I sometimes wish that I wasn't that bothered about the product and you could probably rinse out anything and make a fortune. But it's probably the fact that I am bothered about the product that means uh, I'll probably never be a millionaire from it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, uh, we as pizza makers just care so much about how it looks, how it tastes, how high it rises, the distribution of toppings <clears throat> and... Yeah, guess, even that. I mean, it's crazy. You can give like 10 pizza makers the same dough. I could make them a batch of dough. They could have all the same ingredients from the same supply, use the same oven, the same conditions, the same worked up, everything. And you would get 10 different pizzas completely. And a lot of something, a lot of that, especially Neapolitan style, I think a lot of what makes a pizza a good pizza and what makes pizza an okay pizza it's just ratios. It is just the ratios of the toppings. I I developed a dairy allergy about two or three years ago. And up until then, I'd never eaten much marinaras. I hadn't eaten many marinaras. And I developed a dairy allergy and just ate nothing but marinara for, for months. And my marinaras just got better and better and better. And it was just the, the right amount of oregano, the right amount of oil, the right amount of garlic. Um, just tweaking with X, we put like two or three times as much oil on a marinara as we do, say, a, a margarita, and you just find it needs it to just because you're lacking the the fat from the cheese, and you just need it to sort of fry all those ingredients up and kind of bring them all together in the in the oven, and just literally just doubling the amount of oil can make such a massive difference on a marinara. So yeah, it's crazy, just uh, crazy getting those pizzas just right. You don't always do it. Do you have a uh... A weight that you use or do you just um, eyeball it just eyeball we just use a squirty bottle but i mean you, you, your margaritas just get a quick drizzle just to give it that shine and just just get that little bit of gloss on the pizza and yeah i would say marinade whatever you put on a on a margarita double or triple it it's quite heavy it's quite a good amount of oil but it kind of sizzles into the sauce and soaks up into the oregano and it just kind of yeah it, that that's probably one of the best things you can ever do for a marinara is is increase the amount of oil on it mm, i love that before we get too far into the conversation how did you get started in pizza it's a bit of a long story but i'll try and make it short as i can um, <laughs> got about an hour <laughs> yeah yeah it kind of goes right back to uh probably nearly 20 years ago really um, although I've only been in pizza 6 or 7 years but the, it kind of all stems from something that happened 20 years ago so I left school, became an aircraft engineer, did that for a while met the woman um, got into fitting fireplaces because her parents had a fireplace shop they couldn't get a decent quality um, sort of 12 years later after building up a fireplace business and um, Got into some trouble along the way, some financial trouble. Um, bought a business, foolishly thought I was better than I was. We bought a second business at about 22 years old. It turned out we got involved with a psychopath as well who did his best to absolutely put us out of business. We had three years of death threats and 
he actually dive bombed our house in his helicopter and his hair his aeroplane. We had the police out about twenty five times. It was crazy times. If I ever become famous it'd probably be quite a story that people would be interested in. But um yeah, so basically that ultimately we 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 bought that business in a recession, uh had a load of money borrowed against it that we used to buy the business with, had a psychopath chasing us around in helicopters. My wife had a nervous breakdown due to it all and we packed that in. And then foolishly, we probably spent the next like 10 years trying to recover from that financial disaster by building up the fireplace business um, to service the debts that we'd acquired from the, the other failed business. And with hindsight now, knowing what I know now and being older and wiser and have had, you know, several businesses, we should have probably pulled the plug. Um, towards the end of the fireplace business, I'd massively got into outdoor smoking, cooking with wood. Uh, we had a pellet smoker, I had Kamado barbecues, and then naturally wanted to sell those because I was interested in them. So we set up a, as well as the fireplace showroom, we set up a, like an outdoor showroom, got some pizza ovens in. Initially started with Alpha. I think you might have heard of Alpha, quite a big wood-fired oven brand, making big stainless steel ovens. Um, and, yeah, we ended up winding the business up, and at the end of the day, I had a pickup truck and I had a pizza oven. And a friend of ours over in Nairsborough in Yorkshire uh, called me up one day, uh, was asking me if he could borrow my barbecue. It was his daughter's third birthday party. And I was like, how about we took a pizza oven on the pickup truck and we come and make pizza for everybody. So he was pretty chuffed with that idea. We took the pizza oven on. He mixed some dough up. I'd never really made much pizza. Definitely not Neapolitan style. Didn't even know Neapolitan style existed then. We literally like mixed up a bowl of dough, tore chunks off of it, hammered it into a round shape. Chucked it into the oven, got the kids to top things, and everybody absolutely loved it. And it was shocking. Looking back on it, the pizza was shocking. Uh, but it was still good, just the just the event of making it and just playing around with fire and burning wood and things like that. So we did that. We had a fight. We had a party. Uh, about, I don't know, 30 or 40 people came, had a great time. Everybody was raving about the uh, the pizza. And then I just put a, <clears throat> put a Facebook page up like a business page, just not really expecting anything to come of it. And then we started getting job inquiries. So we started pricing for them. People started accepting them. So then I started booking it in six months in advance. Because in the meantime, I'd just taken a job for a year um, after winding up the business. And we'd file for, I'd filed for bankruptcy back in 2016 because of all that. So... Um, yeah, in the meantime, I'd just taken a job for a friend for a year just to chill out, relax, and get my head straight again, decide what I wanted to do. And then, yeah, we just started booking jobs in for sort of, you know, back end of the year or summer or whatever, whenever it was. And then I had about six months worth of work in front of me. And I thought, well, if, you know, if I don't do anything more than what's in the diary right now, I'm probably going to earn twice what I would, you know, having a normal job. Uh, so that was it. Handed my notice in. My missus wanted me to keep my regular nine till five because we'd gone through quite a lot of uh, quite a lot of stress. This is my new missus, by the way, because in all that time scale, I'd, my, due to the stresses and other things, me and me and my wife had 
you know, split up, which contributed. And my dad had a heart attack in Spain. Uh, my dad had cancer in Spain and died. My uncle suffered a stroke. Uh, my mum suffered a heart attack and me and my wife split up and that all contributed to folding the other business. So it was tough times. So my uh, my new partner, who I've been with for eight years now, naturally wanted me to just keep a, a Monday to Friday, nine till five and have an easy life. And I was just getting bored and uh, the pizza game was happening. So we went and made some pizzas and brought some whole new stresses, uh, but had some good times as well. Wow, what a story. Welcome to the What's Good Dough podcast and get ready to level up. But before we continue with the show, I want to introduce you to my two show sponsors, Uni Pizza Ovens and Cordo Olive Oil. Let's start with Uni. They are the number one pizza oven company in the world with the best community there is. Because of their ovens, I have made some of the most amazing pizzas. From round pies to squares, I'm able to get to temperatures of up to 900 degrees, allowing me to cook the pizzas of my dreams. If you're looking to grow your pizza business, buying an uni makes sense. My past guest Ryan of Sanctuary Pizza has a mobile catering company powered by uni. These powerful ovens are efficient, lightweight, and can be used almost anywhere. Whether you take pizza seriously like me or want to run a pizza operation like Ryan, uni is the choice for you. Use the link in the show notes and join the Uni community. My second show sponsor is Cordo Olive Oil. At first, I didn't believe that olive oil mattered. It wasn't until I got educated and learned about the difference between commodity oil and Cordo's fresh squeezed olive oil that I ditched the supermarket stuff. Today, I only use Cordo Olive Oil when it comes to making my dough and even doing a post-baked drizzle. Mm. I have even made some amazing pesto with it. Oh my goodness. Cordo's high quality olive oil does really elevate anything it touches. My buddy Chris, who runs a slice of New Jersey, just switched over to Cordo. Not only is he getting quality, but he ended up saving money by switching over too. If you're still unsure of the difference, pizza operators can sign up for a free olive oil tasting. Use the link in the show notes to learn more. Thank you for taking the time to listen to my show sponsors and supporting this show. It was kind of, if I had to do it all again, actually, I would, bizarrely, because I learned some big, big lessons, big, big lessons. We do things very differently now. We were spending too much money. We were trying to expand before we were truly capable of it. We were kind of looking at what money we had coming in in the future and kind of planning our expansion around that rather than looking at the money we had in the bank and we had already secured so the bankruptcy and the insolvency and the the stress and strains of owing family money and letting them down and things like that i go at business completely different now i run a a, well we don't really have any debt and we run with a whole load more money in the bank a lot more reserves and we don't do anything until we can until we can afford to do it nowadays so we do it with our own money and we make sure that we've still got plenty of plenty in the bank after we've you know so we fitted out the basement uh, six months or nearly a year ago now maybe and spent twenty thousand pounds down there but we we didn't spend our last twenty thousand pounds doing that we made sure that we had money in the bank and we could survive in case we had a, a downturn in work or the pandemic came back and made made life hard for us 
so yeah, it was tough times, but uh, some big lessons learned and we're doing things differently. And I think we're all the better for it, to be honest. How are you able to, I guess, start a business if, you know, you went bankrupt? Like, I imagine it'd be hard to get any sort of loans. It'd be hard to even pull yourself up from that low and then invest into a business. How did, can you connect the dots for us there? Yeah, that was crazy difficult. Um, no funding available, uh, which wasn't a bad thing. Um, you know, we've just had a flop, major flop, gone down owing quite a bit of money. Um, and uh, yeah, it's very tough. Nobody wants to lend you any money, which is no, no surprise. Uh, managed to get some credit cards and things and just did daily spending on credit cards, main, mainly just to build up my credit profile for the, when the day comes when, you know, when it kept, comes off the record. So I just did my weekly spending on credit cards and then cleared the balance. Every, and there were ridiculous interest rates, absolutely insane. But you just made sure that you didn't pay the interest. You always cleared the balance every month, which was the whole idea of getting the cards anyway. I didn't need credit. It was to build my credit profile up. So I did that. Um, and then, yeah, we couldn't really get his hands on any money. I mean, immediately after the bankruptcy, I had to go crawling back to my mum just saying, can you just give us a couple of grand? I need to buy... Because I had a, a, a Mac laptop in the business, which had all my stuff on and was a laptop pretty essential if you're going to get up and running again. Uh, so, yeah, I had to go and ask my mum, you know, I'm like, can you just give us a couple of grand? Help us get back on my feet. She gave me about £2,000. Um, and then, yeah, we started, I mean, the pizzas originally, we started off with just a gazebo. So we just had like a £500 setup, quite a cheap oven. Um just to test the waters really and that kind of way in fact one of the first things we ever did was street event a local street event in york and in fact it was the first public event i'd ever done and we ended up with about four thousand people down it was like uh they closed the road off and it was like a switching on of the christmas lights i think and there was about four or five thousand people on the road and we were one of the only food vendors there and we had a queue a mile long and so just smashed a load of pizza out of a gazebo there and then as money as we earned some money um eventually built uh bought a second-hand horse box for say a thousand pounds but i'm a pretty handy guy i'm pretty practical in my hands built that uh couldn't really fit it out to the spec i wanted to because it was on a real shoestring budget but got it functional and looking good did some weddings with that and then every year what we used to do is i would um i would sell the trailer at the end of the season so we'd say stop doing weddings and events in november and as soon as the last wedding had gone we'd put the trailer up for sale sell it we'd make a profit on the trailer um and then i'd have to make sure i build another one before before march um because that's when the weddings so it was good it gave me a deadline so whenever my first wedding was booked for the next year um i'd build another build another trailer for then and we did that for about three years and in between that we had like kitchen residences at places we had um there's a place called piglet's adventure farm that's like a kid's play band they asked us to go and do pizza up there so we did pizza in there for a couple of years and that was that took some decent money so yeah we dabbled in all sorts of things really we've done all sorts of things over the year and a lot of it was just finding finding what we like Wow. So you tried your hand at different things and you started off small to build yourself up out of all of these things that you tried. It, it seemed like there's things that worked for you and things that didn't. Which one would you instantly take off of your list and say, I'm never doing that again? 
events, uh, not not like private events, but festivals, festivals, um, cat bear festivals. You're either stood in the rain all weekend knowing that you're going to lose five grand and there's nobody there and you've got no customers and you're trampling around in mud and you know that you've got to bring the trailer back at the end of the weekend and spend two days jet washing it out and cleaning it all out whilst losing £5,000 and throwing all your stock in the bin. Or it's lovely and sunny, the festival's rammed and you just head down making pizza for 10 hours solid with a queue 100 deep all day. And I didn't like either of those scenarios. There was never any middle ground, really, with the festivals. You, If you want to succeed at the festivals, you need to pick the busy ones. And if you're going to pick the busy ones, then the pizza guys always have a queue all day. Um yeah, didn't enjoy either of those scenarios. And then the problem with those things, well, the problem with everything like in the mobile pizza game or mobile food game is you've you've booked all these things like a long way in advance and paid your deposit. So it's not even like you can go and do a festival and then be like, oh, I didn't like that. Let's call that a day because you've got another 10 or 15 festivals booked in that you've paid for and you've maybe booked them in the year previous. So it takes a while to actually get out of doing the things that you don't want to do, unless you've got a load of money and you can just kind of say goodbye to the deposits. But then you've got the issues with just um, letting down, you know, people who are organising festivals as well. So you don't want to do it from a... For me, I don't like letting people down. And if I've said I'm going to do something, I, I like to do it. So, yeah, there was... There was that, and it was the same with the weddings, to be honest, as well. Once you get into the weddings, we we, we had weddings like three or four years in advance. So if you decide you don't want to do weddings anymore, you've got to do three or four years worth of weddings before you can stop doing them. Or you've got to sell them to someone, but then if you sell them to someone, you've got to make sure that they're as good as you and that their vehicle, is the customer is happy with that and the customer is happy with the vehicle and things like that. So yeah, it's like really, it's really tricky. So that's that's the biggest headache is when you realise you don't like doing something, you've got to carry on doing it for a few years until you can get out of it or figure a way out to get out of it. And that was some of the most uh, stressful times. So I've got to a point where I'm one of those people now, and I think it's maybe the events of the insolvencies and back, you know the bankrupts and things where once I don't like doing something, I kind of want to cut it loose and change it up and i have to enjoy what i'm doing i can't bear i don't think i've ever done a job for a long time that i haven't enjoyed i've like for 95 percent of the time i've enjoyed it and then the only time i haven't enjoyed it is if things have gone you know gone wrong or something like that when did the transition from events-based pizza gigs uh move over to the restaurant side uh, side and how did you how did you open up your own restaurant yeah, so we'd been doing the mobile stuff for a while. Uh, yeah, got some money away, kept building new vans, selling them, trailers selling them, finally built a pizza truck. We imported a, um, I think it was like a 1947 or 57 Peugeot J7 cattle van from Fra- the south of France. The guy drove it over for us, that sourced it for us. Um, I'd literally spent two months building that for 2000 and uh, we'd literally had spent two months building this lovely pizza truck for 2020's weddings and it was the first time where i actually 
had enough money to kind of build it to the spec I wanted and we found a real tidy vehicle. It wasn't a heap of junk and didn't actually, the vehicle itself didn't actually need much money, uh, much work doing to it. And then I got a welder and an angle grinder and we cut the side out, put a hatch in, fitted it all out in stainless steel inside, put some commercial flooring in, put a wood-fired oven in, chimneys in, and it was looking great. We had a sign, a lit-up sign on the roof that said Pete, so that came up and it was electronically actuated on a remote control. It was a cool bit of kit. And it was for the first time we had it all set up in a right-hand a right hand manner because I'm right handed, but I'd always had to work left handedly, but just because of the layouts of horse boxes and where the doors were and where the hatch ended up. So, yeah, was really looking forward to using that. And then the pandemic got announced and everybody cancelled everything. So I was like, oh. And at the time, we had um, a kitchen. We were, we, we also we were in Micklegate Social at the time, which is a bar. Uh, but they have a big kitchen and those guys didn't really like running the kitchen side of things. So we'd gone in there, we'd, you know, doubled how busy the place was. The dads take on more bar staff to deal with the extra customers that were coming in. And uh, and then, yeah, the pandemic hit, so the bar closed down. And I thought to myself, what a, what a time to be in hospitality because our PM, Prime Minister, literally just shut hospitality down overnight and i'm like oh we're in the wrong we're in the wrong trade here and then they um then they announced that they were allowing takeaways to continue um so and we'd never done we'd never done deliveries but we fortunately had set up an app like nine months previously um so people could order collections so I think back then we were using we were using an app called Hunger, which is a bit like Deliveroo, but on a smaller scale. And um, yeah, we, we had an app up and running for collections. All our pizzas were on there, the beers were on there. Um, so when the pandemic hit, it was like, well, we can literally just flick a switch, turn on deliveries, set a radius, and we're good to go. And then fortunately, a guy called Andy at the same time, I got a guy called Andy from a company called 659 Taxes. I'd like to give out a big big shout out to those guys, actually, because uh, I wouldn't say that we wouldn't be where we are now without them, but we might not be, um, or we might have gone about a different way. But there's a, there's a taxi company in York that has 90, I think they had 90 drivers at the time, and obviously they were all out of work. So Andy, one of the directors, had been a bit, uh, proactive and banged a load of emails out to uh, to local companies saying, do you want delivery drivers? We've got 90, 90 taxi drivers with nothing to do. So I was like, yes, you've just come along at the perfect time. I'm like, we need, yeah, we want drivers. Um, let's, when can we do this? So like, we're literally within about, I think within about a week, I was literally down to about the last £2,000 in the business account as well. Because um, we still had the Still had the the pizza truck at the time, and I'd spent about twenty or thirty thousand pounds building that for the weddings. I was down to about the last two thousand pounds in the business account. So we spent the last two thousand pounds on some more software. Um, I think we got some ticket printers, some thermal printers, and things like that. Went out and bought the next phase. Bought some really good quality next phase heated delivery bags. Um, you know, I had to Google around and found out what kept a quality pizza 
parts and bags, which I think were about £120 each, £150 each, about six of those, I think. And we switched on um, switched on deliveries for the first time ever. <clears throat> and we had about 400 orders come in on the first night. Wow. Yeah, and this is on our own private app. This isn't on delivery or anything. Uh, so, yeah, we just popped a few Instagram posts out saying we're doing deliveries. And, yeah, first night. We, I mean, it was exceptional circumstances was the pandemic. It was bizarre times. And, yeah, we uh, we had to cancel about 280 orders, and it was absolute chaos, and it was horrendous, and it was painful, and it was stressful. Because one of the things we realised as well, that when we'd set the radius, we were looking through the tickets, the delivery tickets later on. And we're like, well, there's some some jobs here, some out delivery addresses here that are five miles away. You're like, why have these been accepted? Because it was supposed to just auto accept the, you know, whatever radius. And we'd only set a small radius, something like one and a half miles or two and a half miles. Anyway, I realised that deep within the settings, although you'd set your radius, there was a button that you had to select to tell it to not accept ones out of your radius so just being accepting everything in york basically so then we had so then instead of drivers doing five or ten minute trips with 10 pizzas at a time we had some drivers doing half an hour 40 minute trips to deliver so that absolutely killed us basically we turned it off basically to not accept any more orders but then when you do that it popped a customer a message to the customer saying call the restaurant and find out why your order isn't being accepted so then we had about 200 people calling us which absolutely threw us under the bus uh so yeah so we did the pandemic smashed deliveries we pretty much had micklegate social to ourselves the owners kept it shut as a bar um smashed out deliveries there and then the pandemic continued and i had a friend who had a bar in York City Centre, not a bar, sorry, had a, well, our previous premises was, before us, it was a sandwich deli, so a guy called Adam, that sauce deli, he's a friend of mine, he has another restaurant in York as well, and uh, he, he sort of realised what he'd been missing out on with the pandemic, he'd been working a lot, running two businesses, he had a young child and a wife, and he realised he was missing out on a lot family life me and him were chatting and he's like you know what i don't want to run two businesses anymore i'm done i'm going to get rid of this place i was like how much do you want for it and he told me and i was like i love it and that was it and we put a good bit of money away from the takeaways so we've got some money aside from that um the the saving grace and the only way we would have had our place the only way we've got our place was the bounce back loan in the UK, they offered a £50,000 bounce-back loan, or up to £50,000, and it was no strings. didn't matter if you had a bankruptcy or anything. It was just some fast money to get out to businesses to just get them to survive. Just it needed to go out super quick, and they just didn't have the manpower and the time to start betting everybody. Um, uh, so, like, when the money came available, we sold. I put the pizza truck up for sale, sold that really quick. Got the money from the pan from the uh, the bounce back loan, and then the money we'd put away from the the deliveries that we'd been smashing for several months, and uh, it gave us enough money to just just clawed enough money together to open up a pizzeria in town, and that was that was pretty much how it happened, really. 
Um, if it wasn't for the pandemic, we would have never, never got our, our hands on the money to enable us to open up the pizzeria. It, it would have probably happened somewhere, but it probably wouldn't have been that building. Um, it might have been a, a year or two later. Um, it might not have survived if it wasn't that building. So it was kind of where we are. It's it's a good location. We're really in the right in the centre of uh, of York City Centre. I'm glad you were able to essentially come up on that. And just for clarification for those listening, a bounce back loan came as aid uh, for people in the pandemic. There were several loans that came about, but the guys who had limited companies and were directors of a company and were not sort of taking a salary and were paying themselves in dividends kind of got left behind, which was me. I fell into that category. So for a good few months of the pandemic, there was no help for us at all. So fortunately, we, we were lucky that we we could sell pizza and we could carry on with deliveries because we'd have potentially been a bit screwed, really. I'd have been a bit screwed. So yeah, for a while, there was no help for uh, sort of owner-operator directors paying themselves by dividends. And then they realized that there was a good few million people that, you know, were going to be out on the streets and starving. And, and then they just, yeah, they just did these, uh, offered the bounce back loans, which was, yeah, they just needed to get out there super fast. So they just gave, it was up to £50,000 to directors of a, well, to limited companies of a certain, under a certain size. And did you use that entire amount to put it into a restaurant? Like what needed to be done to the, bar deli that uh to get you operational yeah we probably did put the bulk of it in actually and some more uh the main reason i went for the deli was because it was it was pretty well fitted out and usable for as we wanted it my friend had only he'd only opened it about 18 months earlier <clears throat> so he'd fitted it all out so essentially it had air conditioning the electrics were sound the plumbing was sound. Um, it had a toilet, functional toilet that was tidy. It had a massive counter in it, though, which was fine because we were only intending on doing deliveries for the time being. We were pretty much only going to run as a as a takeaway. So it had a huge work counter. So, yeah, we didn't have to do much work, actually. From getting the keys to opening the place was about, I seem to remember, about three or four weeks. Um, which is pretty quick, really, to to get something like that and get it open. I mean, it was uh, props to Adam again, uh, my mate Adam, who, who we took it on from because obviously there's all the legalities of like taking over a lease and things like that, and it's not a quick job. And both of our solicitors were like, mine was saying to me, "Do not, do not go in there without a contract." until it's all complete and his solicitors were do not let Chris in there until you've got a contract and it's all complete because you can both screw each other or get screwed and uh, me and Adam were chatting I'm like they were they were reckoning it's going to be like six months minimum to get contracts and things and uh, so me and Adam had a chat and I'm like this is going to take six months it isn't going to happen you know it's not and he wanted out I wanted in so we're just did a handshake and he's like, you know what, just crack on. 
He's like, just get, here's the keys, just crack on. So I took a bit of a punt that I was putting a lot of time and effort and money into somewhere that technically wasn't mine. And he was taking a bit of a risk that he was going to have someone in there fitting out a shop that he potentially wasn't going to get any rent from or wasn't going to get released from his contract. So we were both taking risks on both parts. Unfortunately, it paid, we were both decent people and it paid off. Um, so, yeah, and as it happened... The contracts got completed about nine or ten months later. So if we'd have waited nine or ten months, it'd have never happened. We wouldn't have been able to do it. Um, so yeah, we he wanted a decent chunk for the lease. So a lot of the money went to the lease to just to pay for the privilege of having the place, really, because he knew he knew it was in a good spot and he'd put quite a bit of money into it with the initial fit out and the aircon and everything like that. Um, but from my point of view, like once we'd actually bought the lease, I thought there isn't actually an awful lot to, to spend to get up and running. There's a few modifications, um, a lick of paint, change the colour scheme and a bit of lighting and things like that and put a put an oven in, put some fridges in. So, you know, actual fit out and actual putting gear in to get open and functional was probably about 20, 25 grand worth of stuff, which isn't that huge, really. So I spent a good chunk on the lease, uh, 20 or 30 grand maybe on the fit out and we we're, were open and selling pizza and we were smashing the deliveries again. And then when we kept coming in and out of lockdown, we'd come out of lockdown, we'd put some seats in, people would come in and collect and we'd have people sitting at the bar and things. And we just kept modifying the the way we worked every time the pandemic changed and new laws and rules came in or got lifted. It was quite exhausting actually. It was very exhausting, but at least we were able to adapt because all your big, all your big players struggled. You know, we lost a lot of our, a lot of the chain restaurants that have multiple branches throughout the country. They just died. They just disappeared immediately, pretty much, because they just couldn't, couldn't adapt. Wow. Yeah, adaptability is key. I mean, I uh, it's it's part of evolution, right? It's the the weak disappear and the strong survive, and kind of the underlying message to that is to be able to adapt to change and the uh, ongoing change in your environment. Yeah. Yeah. That's absolutely key. Yeah. That was essential. If we, we were in two minds, whether to even do deliveries when the pandemic, hit. it was like, do I take this 2000 pounds and eke it out for as long as I can to survive until some help comes along or, you know, back then as well, we were, People were saying, oh, you know, this this is going to be massive. There's going to be millions dying. It's going to go on for, for months or years. And we were just like, nah, no way. You know, this is going to be like a couple of weeks. Or it'll be like swine flu was where it's bigged up into this big issue and then it just never happens and it will it'll all be back to normal. So it was like, do we just like, do I take my £2,000 and just sit it out and, you know, try and spend as little amount of money as possible I'll do it. I literally put every penny I had in there just switching over to deliveries. I think we yeah. I think I actually owed the landlord or the, the owner of Micklegate. I I think after the first night we opened I I was I owed him about four hundred pounds. And until the um we were, I think the money was going through Stripe at the time, which takes about seven days to pay out something ridiculous and uh, i actually didn't i was like 400 pounds in debt to him until that strike money landed and then but then we're cash positive then and we were, we were off 
Yeah. It seems like, you know, you have been in this like up and down roller coaster of like catching losses, catching breaks, going up and down in your business account balance. Um, how do you ensure you're in a position now of not just survival, but thriving? Um, and are you in a position now where you're doing okay and you're not just flipping something to, to, to stay along or like, um, you know, relying on a, on a, on a loan that may not come again. How are you doing as a business? No, we're doing well. We're, we're turning a profit and we're turning a healthy profit. Um, and it's, I mean, it goes back to the bankruptcy really and learning from that. I've done things very differently. I mean, I'd never say you've totally got it sussed in business. There's always things that comes along and you know, there's always things thrown at you. And I've still got a lot to learn, but I have learned a lot. And I've learned a lot more from my failures than my successes. Um, you know, you can learn some big things from messing things up. And, uh, yeah, some of the things we do now, I mean, we're a bit more ruthless with cutting back staff and things. Before, I would be a bit too nice and I would keep staff on for longer than I could afford them, really, just because I didn't want to fire them and make them redundant. Um, whereas now, especially in hospitality, actually, you've got to respond quite quickly to to demand and if you need to cut some so you need to make sure that you haven't got too many salaried staff and you know you have we have our car team now which is salaried and guys that want to hang around with us for ages and then we have some you know i'm not saying the part-timers are no good but the the part-timers and they're going to come and go you know the students they're going to uni or the studying to be doctors and things like that you know they're only they're only with us um you know it's convenient for them so you know if anything if work drops they're the they're the guys you have to cut loose unfortunately so we have to be a bit more a bit more brutal about that but we don't do it flippantly we still try and keep them on and ride out the ride out the troughs um but yeah just run with a lot more money in the bank don't buy off more than you can chew um i also i had a friend it was about 20 years ago and a friend said to me if you have a business that can't run without you, you haven't really got a business, you've just got a job. Um, fair dues, you're your own boss, but the business kind of runs you. If you have to be there all the time, the business kind of runs you. And that was one of my biggest failings. So we could have probably survived with the fireplace business with everything that went on with my dad dying and heart attacks and strokes and having to take time out and separating from the wife and things like that could have probably rode all that out if the business wasn't so reliant on me being there so yeah we i endured some unlucky circumstances and we were still suffering from the financial losses of the previous business from say 10 years previous but ultimately actually if i didn't need to work in the business and I had developed the business more to where it could run without me, I might still be building fireplaces. So when we, uh, <clears throat> when I got into the pizza and some people call you lazy, it's like, oh, you know, it doesn't work there anymore. You know, it doesn't want to work there. And, but I swore to myself that I would never have a business again that relied on me running it. It would need to run without me. So my actual primary goal when I set up Doide was to get out of the business as soon as possible, um, which is really tricky because when you come back to like passion and product and to then step away from something, you're then trusting other people to run with your vision and 
uh, run your, you know, put your product out there and put it out there how, how you want it to be and get the pizza you want and serve the customers in the way you want. And we've still, we've struggled with that, to be honest. That's still a massive learning curve. And I think we've just actually just nailed it, really. I mean, we've had some, I've tried to hire managers and things in the past that get what I'm trying to do um, so that they can then get across the staff. But They've been a little bit soft potentially in the past and, and gradually, you know, things have changed, the product's changed, the pizza's changed, and then people start playing their own music playlists. And you, you come in and like, so I'm always, I always wanted a bit of an electronic vibe in there. I always wanted like some deep house, some chilled house, some um, chill hop and just like future bass. I, I like things like no vocals rumbly bass lines but chilled vibes not too thumpy i don't want it too punchy not too dancey and we've always had this vibe and for six seven years music's always been a big part of what i did even with the mobile events we'd have you know we'd have a couple of speakers and we'd play tunes and people would always comment on the music and i'm not saying like the staff are wrong playing indie music and i'm not saying my music's better than theirs or anything like that i'm just kind of saying that this is the vibe i've won this is the vibe I've created. And because I've been doing that for six, seven years, they're the kind of people we attract. So like to just suddenly change the music and be playing Arctic Monkeys or something like that on loop. Um, for me personally, if I was a regular customer at a restaurant, we went to a restaurant in Leeds with my missus the other week. And one thing I loved about it was the music that they had on and it was really loud. Um, and I loved the vibe. And if, I went back there next week and it had some 70s disco on or something like that. Not 70s disco, 90s disco on or something like that. It wouldn't be the same thing. I'd, I'd just be like, oh, this is, yeah, this is not what I was expecting. I'd be disappointed. So, yeah, we're just really trying to bring a vibe. And I've got a manager now who's really sort of enforcing that vibe. And I think we've actually just only recently figured out that keeping the vibe is quite important, really, and not letting it not letting it fizzle and not letting things change so people know what to expect when they come to us. But yeah, going back to your question about financials, so we run with a lot more money in the bank now. Um, we'll sort of keep labour. We keep an eye on the figures and keep an eye on labour costs and things like that and ingredient costs and that. But the key thing has been getting a, me getting away from the business so that I can spend the time on the important things. So I can I can not the important things, but the things the things I want to do I can kind of choose. I can kind of choose what I want to do, but things like social media, putting things out on Instagram regularly, is as important as you know someone stood at the till taking the money nowadays. Really, if you if you don't have constant content going out on on the internet, people seem to sort of stop coming to places or we'll always be busy but you can tell when we haven't when we've been a bit lazy on the social media you can tell if i'm on it on the social media and i'm putting out constant content we um we're way busier way busier and then when you stop posting you just get your, your regulars and stuff and things really slow down so yeah i can spend my time doing i can kind of fix problems so when you're not working in the business you can kind of my job now is to kind of oversee things and kind of find the problems. You know, if work does tail off, it's like, why has that happened? Oh, well, 
we've totally changed the kind of music we play. We're not turning the music up on an evening. Some of what I used to do is I would be like, right, six o'clock, turn the bass up, crank the tunes up if it's Friday and Saturday night, you know, keep nudging the tunes up and it gets rowdier and rowdier and I love it. You know, people like, and when the place is full and you've got the tunes up and you've got the lights down, then we light the candles and people, the conversation's going, people have had a few drinks and that, like the vibe is vibe is awesome and then there's other times i've come in and just <clears throat> left it up to the staff and they've got just some indie music on and it's just at a low volume nobody's bothered dimming the lights nobody's lit the candles and you can totally tell it's like it's like a different place it's like it's it's insane i've gone i've walked in there to just see the guys and have a I quite often just popping on my motorbike at eight o'clock and grab a Negroni and have a chat with the guys and uh he'll walk in and I'll just be like the vibes like it's just not happening and then I'll be like make some changes change the playlist lights down bass up candles lit and boom within the next half an hour everybody's having a good time the boshing cocktails and wanting some shots of tequila and things like that and yeah, the place is night and day. It's unreal. Oh, that is so key. I mean, vibe, a good vibe means more business for you. It means a better time for the guests. It means jobs for the staff. Like, the wrong vibe could totally kill a restaurant. And it's a better time for the staff, though. It's just such a much better place to work in when everybody's having a great time. That's the thing I right. love about the open kitchen and that. And, you know, I've spent a lot of time. In fact, recently I've lost my pizza chef, so I'm actually back in the kitchen full time at the moment uh, for the last week. Um, so I'm looking if there's any insane Neapolitan pizza chefs out there that fancy working in York in the UK. I need one, but you've got to be like, absolutely know your stuff. Um, <clears throat> but, yeah, I've been in the kitchen for the last week. And, yeah, just time flies so much quicker when when it's noisy and rowdy and the vibe's going and everybody's great and there's just more money going through the till but everybody's having a great time and they all want to come back again and you, you see some of the people we it's quite a touristy city is york and people come on a wednesday and then they'll be back on a friday and then you'll see them again on a sunday and then they're maybe going back you know and they've only come for a week and they've you know three out of the five nights they're staying in york they've cho- chosen to come to our place because They've just had a good time and they want to come again and again. So yeah, vibe is so important. Wow. I, I would have, it's, I could see how easy it is to forget that. It's like you're, you're creating an experience for a restaurant, not just a place to eat, but like that experience is so key. Especially when you haven't got like a million pounds to chuck at a, a fancy fit out and have the best designers in the world and have the best furniture in the world and the best decor in the world. You've got to, You've got to get people to want to be there for some other reason so you can do it with lighting and music, really. And yeah. What are some ways people can start to remove themselves from their business? Because you've clearly laid out the importance of it. And I think, you know, not everyone has that luxury today, but they can tomorrow if they start taking the right actions to do so. You've got to start planning that before you even take somewhere on. So there's a minimum amount of covers you need. You know, at the end of the day, if you haven't got enough tables, you'll never be able to have enough staff and you'll never be able to leave your business, really. Or it'll only ever be a pocket money business. Um, So, like, I drive past some of these 
I drive past some of the businesses on the way into town I see and they've just got like 10 or 15 chairs and you think well that's just going to be an owner operator living in there forever probably just taking 15 20 grand a year maybe if they're lucky and that's just either a hobby for them or or um or they're just content with you know having a job every day where they're in char- kind of in charge of their own lives and but yeah I mean I think to even have a stab at getting away from the business and stepping out of it i think you need like 50 60 covers minimum so you've got to you know you've got to figure out what you i mean it depends what your rent and rates cost and things like that york's quite a busy york's quite an expensive city for for rent and rates i think it's well people are always moaning about it in york so i think it's probably one of the dearest i think it's one of the dearest cities in the country so you've got to take into account your rent and rates how many bums you can get on seats and how much money they're going to spend with you and then you need to figure out your food costs so you need to do your figures roughly i mean i've never really done a business plan but i always have a pretty good idea of figures in my head i can roughly go through things and have a good idea at where we're at and uh, yeah and you've got to figure out like how many staff it will take to run your place and whether that amount of covers with that amount of spend per head is going to cover your staff, your rent, your rates and your ingredients. And if it isn't, you either need to get your costs down or you need to get your spend per head up. And that's it, basically. Um, And just resist from buying the toys. You know, you might go and open a place and you might think, yeah, I'm pulling in 70 grand a year or 80 grand a year or 200 grand a year or whatever. But if you start going and buying Land Rover Defenders and, um, you know, putting your name down on Ferrari waiting list and things like that, you know, you, you, you soon blow that money. Um, and I've uh, this time around, I've invested in. As soon as I've had some spare money, I've taken on a member of staff. So I've spent all, all the profit that the business has made. As soon as I, you know, as soon as the business makes another twenty grand a year, I'll get a front of house person. And as soon as there's another twenty grand a year, I'll get another front of house person. And I mean, for the first year, I was chef. I was the chef. And I spent my money on front of house people because I wanted them to handle that. And then, yeah, just as <clears throat> as business built up and more and more money came in, I, I got more staff and then eventually I could afford a manager and then I could eventually afford a pizza chef. And then we could afford two pizza chefs, which meant we could open more days and, yeah, just spend the money on staff, you know, invest in the staff rather than going out and buying buying new toys. You can either save more money or make more money. And for years, my wife and I had discussions about money on like, no, we need to save. No, we need to save. No, we need to save. And one day, you know, we were kind of arguing about money. And she was like, why do we want to focus on saving when we should really just be focusing more on how do we make more money? Mm, yeah. So that we can actually spend on the things that we want. Like we don't have to go and buy a Defender or, uh, you know, or any Ferraris anytime soon. No, they're extreme examples of toys, but, you know, you can easily go and blow blow money on a new handbag or a motorbike or an expensive push bike or a coffee machine. Or, and it's like, do you need a five grand coffee machine? Or would you be better off with a, another member of staff or something like that? 
How are some ways that you've been able to increase sales at your restaurant? I think it's just through product and service. You know, I've, I've always been a massive fan. I don't, I don't look at the money that much. I don't chase the money. Um, I make a good product and provide good service. And I hope that there's enough like-minded people that want the same things I want. So I, I, I've created what I would want at a restaurant or a bar. And I just hoped that there was enough people in York that enjoyed the same kind of thing and wanted the same kind of food. And I just believed that the money would naturally follow. If the product and service is good, the money will just will just come. And it, and it has done. In fact, I used to chase the money, and the more you chase the money, the more it gets away from you, and the more pressure you put on chasing the money, and the more things you buy on finance and things like that, then you have to chase more money because you're out, your monthly outgoings are more, and then you start looking at it, and it's like, wow, actually, I need to, I need to take five grand a month before I've even like paid all my loans and finance and credit cards and things, and then that's crazy, really, because when you, if you have a slowdown in your business. That catches up with you real quick, does you know, once you start getting into that. So yeah, um don't chase the money and don't do things until you can afford to do it. And we've um we've just ensured a good service and product. Money is definitely a means to an end for someone to be able to remove themselves from their business. And that that was really the only reason why I asked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so don't chase the money. I mean it's easy to say that when you're doing okay. Um I can appreciate, you know, it's like when you get these millionaires on TV and they say, no, you know, don't do this or, you know, look after the planet and stuff. And it's like, well, yeah, you've made millions, like, with your previous <laughs> career, flying private jets, doing films or whatever. And it's easy to sort of retire now and say, go live off the land. So it's harder when you, if you're not earning an okay wage and you are struggling, it's, you know, it's easier said than done, really. But once you get a bit of surplus income, just just be wise with it, really. For sure. Um, speaking of surplus income, uh, you told me a story about some mixers that you uh, are a dealer of. Hey, hey, Pizza Pal. I just want to say thank you for listening to the show so far and thank you for making it all the way here. Before we get on to the end of the show, I want to remind you all to please leave a rating on the podcast. You could do it right now. Uh, just go ahead and click five stars if you're listening on Spotify or Apple. It will greatly help the show. I appreciate you so much. And if you're looking to buy an uni or a second uni, the affiliate link helps the show so, so much. So please use that anytime you're considering a new oven. All right. Enjoy the rest of the show. Yeah, so just through connections in the in the pizza world. So I've always been into putting stuff out there on Facebook and things with regards to pizza. And I've, I mean, I've done loads of videos over the years <clears throat> on how to make dough and how to boil dough and how to do this and how to use a mixer and how to cook pizza in a wood fired oven. And and then um, we started a Facebook group, which was just not really never intended to. We've put no effort into it whatsoever. It's literally, I mean, I started a Facebook group mainly because I was a member of another Facebook group and the guy who was running it just kept censoring all my posts because he wanted it to keep on. He wanted it, 
he wanted it to be a rock box group and he only wanted discussion of Gosney rock box. Um, yeah, so we started this group and then like we've got, I think it's, I don't know why I haven't checked the numbers, but I think it was at about 17,000 users not so long ago, which is mad really because we've not really done an awful lot with it other than just try to keep it a polite place. We keep it fairly locked down. It's not like it's a private group and we, you know, if people don't answer the questions, we don't let them in. If they've only had a Facebook account for like two or three years, we don't let them in because they use spam accounts, uh, things like that. So, we, you know, we don't let anyone and everyone in. It's grown quite nicely, really. So then I got mates with, um, I got friends with a guy called Marco Fusa, um, who's a uh, a pizza award-winning pizza legend pretty much knows all styles of pizza uh does consultancy all over the world got friends with marco uh got chatting to him he knew a guy called francesco who was the export manager for sun mix in italy uh got chatting to francesco they marco introduced us over email <clears throat> and then I just asked Francesco if we, I'd, I'd used a I'd used a Summix mixer basically, and I was absolutely blown away. I had just a, a cheap Italinox, like a thousand pound Italinox that everybody starts with, and I went and did some consultancy work actually, and helped a couple set up a restaurant up north. And I went to train their chefs, and they'd bought a Summix, and I'd never used one. Um, we chucked everything in it and pressed go. And like 11 minutes later, we had silky smooth dough that looked like ice cream. No bits of flour stuck in the bowl. No having to turn it off for, and let it rest for 30 minutes and then give it a few more turns and just absorbed all the water. And just it was beautiful. And I'm like, wow, I couldn't believe there was so much difference from. <clears throat> A spiral mixer to another one i i just thought in layman's terms i just thought it's a bowl that goes round. it's a spiral that goes round. as long as the two things turn they're all pretty much gonna do the same thing and yeah i was way wrong on that and it's actually when you get into them you realize that there's actually significant differences between the cheap ones and the dear ones hence why the some are cheap and some are dear uh so yeah blown away by some mix asked francesco if i could sell them I think at the time, Francesco just humoured me, just probably thought, oh, it's, you know, Marco's friend, I'll let him sell a few mixers. I thought we'd only do a couple of months, maybe. I thought if we did a couple of months, that'd be quite nice. I thought it was quite a niche product. And, um, yeah, and in the first year, we did, like, crazy amounts. We, like, blew everyone out of the water. We sold more than America. We sold more than... Taiwan, sold more than Japan, sold more than Australia. Some mix said we were the best dealer in in the world in the first year. I was like, ah, so yeah, and we've done, yeah, it's just snowballing a bit. We've got them in Pizza Pilgrims have been requesting some mix. So Pizza Pilgrims are quite a big chain in the UK. They've recently got some investment and they're growing things even further. So I think they have about 20 branches. Um, and then they're building another 10 this year, so they're putting some mix in all the new ones, and then they're going to gradually replace the rest of the fleet as the break. And they were a bit dubious about it. They'd got cheap mixers, and they were like, well, we can't really see the benefit between this five grand mixer and this 1,500 quid, quid mixer. So I was like, well, I'll just do you a good price on your first one and let your chefs use it and then talk to them after a week. 
And then they're just like literally two weeks later, they added another one. They're like, yeah, we want another one. Chefs absolutely love it. And uh, yeah, we had it with Gino De Campos as well. So uh, there's, he's like a celebrity chef in the UK. He's friends with Gordon Ramsay and uh, he's opened up a chain of restaurants. And then they apparently they put one in uh, the Gino De Campos at Alderley Edge, which I believe is down near London somewhere. And then they opened a second one up in Newcastle and just put a standard yeah. standard spiral mixer in there. And then apparently, this was before they opened, I think, apparently all the chefs from the Alderley Edge one went up to train the Newcastle guys. And they were talking about the mixer and they were just like, what the hell is this? It's absolute garbage. <laughs> and apparently all the chefs up at Newcastle like demanded a, a sun mix, so we had to ship one up there with him. Uh, within a week or so, so they've, they've got them in there, so they're rolling them out in their branches. But yeah, just a great mixer, a good bit of kit. We've always, I've sold bits and bobs over the years. I've dabbled in and out of things um, and always sold things that we've been happy with and we use ourselves. I can't bear selling things that I don't like. I have to, you know, I have to be behind the product. So I'm not just selling some mix for the sake of making money i sell it because i enjoy selling it because i know they do a, a great job and actually they've just remodeled some of the uh the 30 40 50 and 60 kilo mixes they've just redo, re, redone the chassis and made them even beefier and stronger now so all the future ones are like absolute built like tanks so uh yeah we've done all right with some mixing we yeah so we we asked them for exclusivity which the grandpa does and then uh We've been rolling that out, so it's gaining quite a bit of traction with pizza pilgrims being interested in them and things like that. So everybody's buying some mixes, which is awesome. It's nice. It's great going on the forums and seeing everybody cranking out awesome pizza and bread and all kinds of things with some gear you've sold them. To think just like, oh yeah, they'll sell a few to the point where you've outsold multiple countries and got exclusivity. Like, oh my goodness, how many did you have to sell or what what was your revenue um in that one given year? I think if, in if the first I think in the first um I think in the pandemic times, so in two thousand twenty, I think we did like half a million pounds worth of mixes in quite a short space of time, really. It was it was um and most of those were quite small mixes as well. That wasn't selling like loads of 10 and 15,000 pound mixes because we don't sell them that often really they're just for restaurants that are opening and you know um that was nearly all done in like six kilogram mixes and 20 the biggest sellers were six and 20s so sixes for home users because everybody was baking during pandemic so there's loads of loads of bakers bought six kilo machines but then there's loads of people set up pizza businesses and the twenty kilo machine that some mix do in the in the small line range is the it's the biggest mix they do before the prices start to jump up a bit. So the I think the twenty kilo machine's about two thousand pound plus fat. Um but then if you go up to the thirty kilo machine, which is the next size up, you jump up to a whole different model there and then they're a whole new professional machine so that becomes there like four thousand pounds plus fat so you double the price for an extra 10 kilos capacity so everybody was buying the 
20 kilo machines because they were the sort of the best machine they could get for for the money <clears throat> we did loads of them like they were some mix francesco was surprised in italy how many um how many 20s we were doing he's like why are you selling so many 20s but the uk was just seeing a massive surge in people starting pizza businesses it was it was crazy everybody was setting up doing pizzas and i'm friends with tom's tom gosney i speak to tom quite a bit who's like tom's pioneering pioneers like taking the niche niche wood fired oven and made it mainstream and does high quality <clears throat> ovens and uh yeah, I was talking to him, and he was just saying our oh, rockbox sales have just gone gone crazy. Everybody's learning to make pizza; it's gone mad. Wow, what a what a great story so far! And I, I'm so lucky to have been able to learn from all of the experiences, good and bad, from you. Really, you've you've had so much to share, and I can't believe that we're almost close to time. I really have more questions from you, but I do need to start wrapping up shortly. Yeah, no problem. Thank, thank you uh, for all of that, all that you shared. It's really, I'm speechless. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't say we've nailed it yet, though. I think there's always things to be learned, you know. But um, I just—that's pizza for you. Yeah, well, that's just pizza. That's business, you know. I'm learning all the time, and as long as you do learn. You know, if you make mistakes, you just need to learn from them, um, which hopefully I've done. And uh, yeah, just as I think in businesses, the idea of the game is to make, you know, have more ups and downs. There's a there's a question that I always ask before I end the show, and that is, what's mi one mistake in pizza, business, or life that someone should avoid? And clearly, like, you know, I want to preface this by saying, like, it's okay to make mistakes. Um as long as you learn from them, but like, what are some of the ones that you've experienced yourself that you're like, Oh, I wish never, I wish someone would never have to learn this one. And I can just give, show them the way now. Yeah. Uh, don't be afraid of failure. I think most, most people in business will tell you that. And I think that's, yeah, I think that's absolutely key. You've got a, I mean, the thing with me is like the, the bankruptcy was a big thing about that because I took a job just to de-stress and, uh, my partner, she just wanted me to play it safe. Don't risk anything again. And then I was just like, I'm 30, I'm 30 odd years old. I've got a fresh start financially. I've got 30 odd years worth of experience. It would be such a shame to go through all that and not make use of it. Like what a waste of a bankruptcy, you know, going through something like as stressful as liquidating a business and you know, failing and then to just like, yeah, I'll just go get a job on the checkout at Tesco's or whatever and take a paycheck. It's like, how how ridiculous would it be not to try and turn that around and and take your 30 odd years worth of experience and your, your fresh financial start and then go and get it right another time. And that's what I've hopefully done. <laughs> yes. I mean, like, imagine if you just stayed with that job I was a nice little job as well. It was a nine till five. I was in charge of my own diary. I was running the business pretty much. And I could, I was doing surveys. So I lived in York. So I would make sure that my last survey of the day was in York. I could be home every day for four o'clock. I could completely switch off. I didn't have to think about anything. I had a company car, fuel paid for. And it was just, it wasn't, it wasn't what I wanted. It wasn't enough. I like the challenge. I love the challenge. I like, 
I like doing things when I like pushing myself. And every time I get a bit comfortable, I usually go and bite a bit more off and, and do something else. Don't give up on that dream. Um, cause you never know what's going to happen. I've been inspired by all the things that you've accomplished and yet to accomplish. And I'm, I'm definitely going to keep my eye on just where this pizza and business journey takes you. I'm really excited to see it. Yeah, oh, cheers, man. Yeah, it's tough. It's not easy, but we're we're doing okay at the moment, so hopefully it will continue. Awesome. Final question of the day. Uh, what do you want to leave the audience with today? If you've got any ideas, just go and do it. Go and do it. Give it a go. Don't say you can't afford it. Um, you know, figure out how you're going to afford it. It's not, I can't afford to do that. Figure it out. You know, you can generally get your hands on money. You know, if you've got a good enough idea and a good enough good enough personality and the passion for it you can generally get funding somewhere to do something and just but just don't fool yourself into thinking things are a good idea if they're not as well you can easily get caught up in the emotions of things you've got to like i think look at look at what you're planning to do objectively and just really sort of don't convince yourself that it's a great idea, even when it isn't, you know, but if you have truly got a great idea, just, you know, figure out how to get it done. Just get it done. Loads of people have great ideas, but they just don't get it done. The idea is the easy bit. It's actually, it's actually doing it. That's uh, you've got to get out of bed and go and do it. I love it. Thank you so, so much, Chris, for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Okay, buddy. Yeah. Been great talking. I always like to chat pizza. Chris, I learned so, so much from you, brother. First off, I want to say congrats. Congrats again on your journey so far. I suspect you're going to continue to do great things, buddy. And I can't wait to see your pizza journey continue. To you, the listener, I mean, wow. Please make sure to check Chris out. I'll link to all of his socials, his Facebook community, everything in the show's description. Please remember to sign, slide into his DMs and let him know what's good dough. I appreciate you for listening. I love you. Till next time. Peace.